What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, and today we have a super exciting episode about, really, it's about all kinds of stuff. Bill Allen is a member of our Facebook group, and I reached out to him because I said, oh, hey, you've got a cool story, and I had no idea who I was reaching out to as far as the value that this guy would bring. So Bill is a wholesaler and flipper who went from active duty and transitioned into the active reserve and then the reserves and the Navy and has he's doing over 200 deals a year. He's a mastermind coach and he is just a brilliant, brilliant mind. We had, I had so much fun on this and not only talking real estate, talking mindset and success and it's huge. I gained so much from this episode. I'm so excited to bring this to you. Bill Allen is just a genuine, awesome guy. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining the community. The podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can find the show notes at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hold on to your seat for this word from our sponsors. Hey guys, on this podcast we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310s allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave, and I'm here with Bill Allen, a uh, former and, I guess, still current uh, Navy pilot, gone wholesaler flipper, and uh, transitioned into the reserves. Bill's been featured on the Bigger Pockets podcast, and I had no idea about any of that. I saw him in my Facebook group. was like, oh, you have a cool story. Let's talk on the podcast. And then afterwards realized that, oh, Bill's the real deal. Uh, so I'm kind of lucky to have him, and I'm super excited about this podcast for you guys. Bill, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I, I think uh, you, you have a, a military background as well. So I'll kind of start there. So um, my, my dad was in the Navy. I, I 
I, went, I did ROTC scholarship at Georgia Tech. I was an engineer, so I think with like uh, numbers uh, now. So um, I, uh, I got commissioned in, into the Navy as a, as a pilot. I actually went to grad school at Air Force Base up in uh, Ohio. I got a master's degree in aeronautical engineering, and then I went down to flight school. So I flew helicopters uh, out in San Diego in the fleet, and then I've been a flight instructor off and on for three different times uh, down in uh, Milton, Florida at the BPTs in Pensacola. Uh, I was a test pilot. I got a, a test pilot. Uh, I was a test pilot out in uh, uh, Pax River for a few years. I went to school in uh, in England uh, to get my uh, my test pilot certification, and then went and did that. And then I went FTS. So I was a transition to the active reserves for a couple of years. Um, I was supposed to go back to be a department head, and um, I, we had some kids, and I didn't want to get deployed over and over again. So I went down to Pensacola and I was a flight instructor as an FTS guy. Uh, starting a real estate business. And then after that, I, um, I kind of came out of uh, active duty. We had a, uh, I have an interesting story about my middle son. He had a, he was born with a heart defect. So he's had four open heart surgeries in the first six months of his life. And that was the time where I said, it's, it's time for me to focus on my family and, uh, and my business. And and leave the Navy. So uh, I still, still in the reserves. I fly uh, down to VT3. I fly the T6 as a trainer uh, down in Milton. I got to do 60 days a year down there. So, uh, but I started a real estate business while I was. Um, I had a CO um, when I was in college at the ROTC unit that he said he bought a house at every one of his duty stations, and he always made money. So that was in like I don't know 1999. So I said, okay, uh, that, that sounds like a good idea. I'll start doing that. So I bought my first condo in San Diego. It was 700 square feet. I paid $385,000 for it. It was in 2006. And when I left, um, I sold it for $195,000. So a $200,000 loss. Um, but I used the HAP program. So I was lucky enough to have um, bought at the right time. And I was able to use the HAP program to kind of bail me out. The housing assistance program was... Uh, back during the real estate crash. So um, if we got forced to buy, forced to move in and forced to move out at different, we could use the program to supplement uh, what we lost on the property. Um, but I, I didn't give up on real estate then. I bought another house in Pensacola right after that and uh, fixed it up and then rented it out. I held that house for a long time. Um, so that was kind of the start of my real estate business. Now I run a business that we have about I got about 15 people that work for me and we do close to 200 deals a year, uh, a couple million dollars in gross profit off that. And so a pretty big, mostly wholesaling and flipping in a few different cities. So it's kind of my uh, long elevator pitch. I like it. I always joke because uh, you know that, that everyone in the military says buy a house at every duty station. I always tell people, well, that depends. Are you asking someone who bought in 2007 or someone who bought in 2011? Um, or, or 99. And, uh, you know, I always caution, maybe, maybe it depends on, on the market. Cause of San Diego, I'm moving to San Diego right now. And I'm not comfortable enough that the market is any different than it was in 07, 08. I mean, there's obviously a lot of differences, but it's, it's higher than it was in at the peak now. So I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to buy, I'm just going <laughs> to probably play it safe and see what happens. Cause I know what the market looked like in 2010. I don't want to play that game. Um, yeah, I always, I always tell military guys that they're, you know, I, a lot of people now that know that uh, I'm a real estate guy and they come to me and ask me for advice when they move and you do. And um, I think for me, we got to know that we can move really quick. Like if we got to pick up, you might, you might have to sell your house a year from then or two years or three years. And 
there's not a lot, even if you, even if you bought pretty well, it's likely a break even concept. If you, if you leave, then you're, you have to sell it. So just look at a couple different exit strategies. If you can rent it out and make money and that's what you want to do and be a long distance landlord, that might be a good, a good way to go. But San Diego, it's not a lot of cash flow there uh, unless you're maybe doing some MBs or something like that. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'd say, you know, kind of look at your exit strategy in a couple of years with all the fees and everything to resell. It's, you're probably going to break even or lose money. I mean, we just, we bought a house here when we moved to Nashville uh, two and a half years ago and we just moved into a new house and I'm selling the one that I bought and I bought it really well and I'll probably break even when it's all said and done. It's listed right now. So, and the market's really been really good here in the past couple of years in Nashville. So uh, it's just, it's just too, too close to see like big appreciation. We're not appreciating 20, 30% a year. So. Absolutely. And most people aren't moving into a uh, teardown ready flip either. So yeah. Not, yeah. not able to force quite as much appreciation. Yeah. Especially when you're moving in there with your family and like deploying six months later, it's not the best thing to do to your wife. So <laughs> I've, I've seen guys that's, that's their thing. And I'm like, man, more power to you. I don't think I could ever convince my spouse to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Not me. I had to buy a new construction house here in Pensacola and Part of that's for me too. I want to be able to take the key. We do this for a living. I don't want to live in it. I've, I've renovated so many houses. I don't need to live through that. So Absolutely. Um, we took a key and moved into something that was all ready. So. I like it. So what got you into, so you, you bought a house and you know, well, a second house and that one kind of worked out, but what made you decide wholesale fix and flip was the route that you wanted to go or did you just kind of stumble into it? Yeah. So I, I was, I was buying these rentals. I, I wanted to be a landlord. My goal was to get to get 10 rental houses that uh, would cash flow for me at about $10,000 a month. And I thought, you know, if I could get like in total, so, you know, somewhere I was in these uh, like a class properties, nice, nice neighborhoods, houses that I would want to live in because I thought it would be easier to manage those people. I'd do it myself. Um, so I got, I got to that point. Um, and what, ha what happened was I was running out of cash. So I would, buy house. I, I used a lot of the uh, Burr method, I guess, before it was coined that. So uh, I would use either my, my, some of my cash or raise some money from uh, some other people to buy one uh, at a discount, fix it up and, and refinance it and pull all my money back out. And so I could only do a couple of those a year. And it worked for me because I was still active duty, right? So um, I still had my income. And then uh, I, I remember I was in Maryland. I was at, at Pax River and I bought this house that was going to be a rental, fixed it up. And my realtor said to me, um, when we got done, like a good realtor would, she wants another commission, right? Um, she said to me, you know, you could sell this and make a lot of money. And can you hear that dog barking? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not super loud though. He's a, uh, somebody's putting in a swing set out back and he's going crazy. <laughs> so they, she said to me, I could sell this and you're going to make, uh, you can make some good money. So I said, okay, let's explore that. We made a little bit nicer finishes and checked it out. And um, we made like $45,000. We ended up selling it. And so for somebody who, you know, making $45,000 all in one shot is pretty exciting to me at the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was something, and even though it took six months, I was just talking about this yesterday, even though it took six months, you don't see it that way, right? It's a check that all comes to you at once. I don't do, I didn't divide by six and figure out what my monthly income was. Um, so Which would still be good. Yeah, it would still be good. You're right. Um, especially when you're supplementing another income, right? So, yeah. so 
I saw that and said, wow, there's, there's something to this and it's, it's actually pretty exciting for me. So we went out and started looking for another one and we did uh, one more after that. And it, 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 at that time, it took me three or four months to find my next project and then another six months to do it. So it's like one a year for a couple of years um, while I was still kind of buying a couple rental properties. So typically one or two rentals a year and then one of those fix and flips. And when we did that next one, um, what actually changed my mind. So I thought I wanted to be a flipper. And I, I actually joined a, a, a mastermind group and I, you know, I paid a fee to get in there and be around some people that think differently and act differently. Uh, a lot, probably like a lot of your listeners and the people that you network with. Um, and it just changed my whole mindset of what's possible. So see what they were doing and people that were doing a hundred, hundred deals, 200 deals a year. I didn't even think that was possible. Guys making millions of dollars a year. Um, I wanted to be a millionaire in my lifetime and make a million dollars in my life. And to see people doing that in a year, it was just really shocking to me. So that's just kind of changed my goals and my mindset and kind of the ceiling that I had. Um, I just kind of blew through this glass ceiling that was, I thought maybe making 200 grand a year would be fantastic. And um, so that's really what changed kind of what I was doing and just seeing that it's possible. Um, and I started marketing for my own, own deals as a flipper. And what happened was I was spending all this money on marketing and I wasn't producing all the properties that I wanted to flip. And I saw a need for it in the marketplace. I started complaining that other people were paying too much for deals instead of saying, Hey, you know, I can go find properties and actually help these people. You know, if they're going to pay more than me, then all I got to do is find a property that I can pay a little bit less for and they'll pay a little bit more for. And there's a spread there that I can take advantage of. So started kind of building that model and, you know, testing it, figuring it out, and just kind of organically grew from there um, into a, a pretty big business. Yeah, uh, 200 deals a year is, is quite substantial. Yeah. So uh, out of curiosity, I know, and I, I listened to it in the Bigger Pockets podcast about your website, uh, and I looked at it the other day, and it, it still looks clean. Is that a main source of lead gen for you, or what kind of, like, what's your favorite way to, or is there a, a most effective way for you to generate these leads? Yeah, so to answer the first question about the website, uh, I thought that was the case. I thought, you know, in listening to everything that I had heard up to that point, that um, organic traffic was the best way to go. It's so cheap, it's free. Uh, it's, so I thought I would build a website. And if, so if, if anybody listens to that podcast, I spent all this time figuring out how to use WordPress and build the site and, and all this stuff. And I thought leads were just gonna come to me. And that wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> And so um, I, I was trying to do some of my own SEO. I put, at that time in my business, so if you go, that's probably like three years old, you go back to that, I was spending a lot of time myself trying to figure things out and do things instead of kind of outsourcing it or hiring people to help me that are professionals and know what they're doing in that space. Um, and I'm the kind of guy that needs that a lot of times, at least I did then. Um, I'm very easier, it's much easier for me to outsource things now and not have to be the expert on them. Um, but at the time, and I think a lot of us are like that, it's type A guys or gals, the uh, people in the military that are probably listening to us, right? They, they got to figure it out. They want to do it. They want to run it. They want to be the boss. Yeah. And so at that time, that was the case. And I put a website out there. I don't think I got a single deal from my website, but it was phenomenal credibility. It was just whenever I would go somewhere, they could go there and it shows that we actually have a presence in something. Um, the first couple of flips I did were in my own name. I had no business. I had no LLC. I was just going, figuring it. 
Same with my rentals. All my rentals were in my own name too. I mean, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And it was okay. Like, I, I don't need to create that structure and all those things before I go do deals. Like that action is the most important. So created the website, put myself out there. Um, didn't do anything, no deals from that. Um, so the predominant lead source that I still get today is direct mail. I started sending postcards in my market there in Pensacola. And um, we sent, we just sent a little bit more, I think, than everybody else was. And then I just kept reinvesting in my business and just sending more and more. And that's kind of how we grew was, you know, realizing that marketing is the, is the biggest source for us uh, of what we're doing and the most important thing. So that's where my focus went to was uh, on the marketing side of the business. So we still get about 80% of our deals from direct mail right now. Um, we do get some, the website that you saw, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, uh, I spent, like, I don't know, hours and hours and hours on that thing. And we just hired a marketing uh, manager maybe three, maybe six months ago now. And she just redesigned that whole website. So the thing that you see is not what I created. That's gotcha. so much better. Um, <laughs> and when she sent it to me, I just said, oh my gosh, my baby, all this work that I did is going to be gone, but you did such a, a better job than I did. It's, it's, it looks a lot more kind of like user-friendly and, and interesting and we think it'll convert better. So we send a lot of traffic there though. Like we, we pay to direct traffic there now with uh, uh, Google AdWords, pay-per-click type stuff, as well as um, uh, on our postcard, we, we brand our postcards so people can go to the site and landing page and see if, if we're the kind of people they want to work with and stuff like that. So I think it, it converts. It's everything that we do in marketing all comes back together. So I might, I might reach somebody with a postcard, but they come to me from the website or uh, I want to be able to capture them in lots of different places and just kind of get the brand and the name out there. And, and so they know we're doing really good things and we can help them. So yeah. long-winded answer to your question, but no, I don't get very much from my website organically still. <laughs> well, I think it's funny you mentioned the doing it all yourself because I only just hired my first virtual assistant like a month ago. Uh, I struggled with the exact same thing and everything I've done has been, oh, I think I can add that. And uh, it's same, same exact story. I, I built my WordPress site. I had a buddy look at it. We piddled with it for, I mean, a solid year. And then I finally had to redesign like a month or two ago. And it's like 10 times better than I ever would have done. It, everything converts 10 times better. My email list grows, you know, three or four or five times faster than it was. And I'm like, huh, I was really not good at that. I should probably hire stuff out that I know I'm not any good at. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'll take it a step further. Can you think about the opportunity cost, depending on what you're driving there and what you're converting and what you're doing with all of your traffic to your site over that year, if the conversion was that much higher, what could it have been? I did the same thing with my buyers list. So I was driving my buyers list to that site, my, my, um, regular site and saying, Hey, just sign up on there. Like my, um, credibility site. And then when I, I, Danny Johnson is, is a, a, a good friend of mine. He runs lead propeller. So I went over to his lead propeller for my buyer stuff. So all of my buyers lists are housed on, on his platform. And it, it converted the traffic that was landing on that page five to one versus what I was converting on my site. I mean, that is, a, in, I probably over a year of trying to do it myself, just lost a ton of revenue by not housing my, like my, all my wholesale deals and things like that on a professional site like that. So it's really, um, the opportunity cost of this stuff is crazy, but you've got to, you've got to do that. Like you've got to go through that. You've got to realize it yourself. I mean, you can listen to this podcast. Some people are saying, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it 
Like, I'm not listening to those guys. You've got to figure it out on your own. You'll hear it 10 times. It's like when I, I ask my wife to something or we try to make a decision and I tell her and somebody else tells her, she always agrees with the other person, right? So um, I could tell her five times we should do it this way. And some third party comes in and says, says it. And she's like, you know what? We should do it that way. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is if we got to figure out what our time's worth as business owners, individuals, professionals, all that stuff. So it was a great exercise that I did when, um, when I got my kind of coach and mentor, the first thing they said to me was write down all the things that you're doing, first of all. And then second of all, calculate how much money you made over the last year, everything, rental income, the flips that you did, your Navy job, all that stuff. And then how many hours did you put into each and put, do some math and figure out what your dollar per hour is. And I, I did it. And I, that was, it was right around the time that you, uh, that they recorded that bigger box podcast, probably like $50 an hour. I was at, uh, right around there. So you said, okay, well, anything less than $50 an hour, you need to figure out how to stop doing that. Um, and then go do hundred dollar an hour tasks or $200 an hour tasks. And like, what are the things that you're not doing that you're spending the time doing something that are $10 an hour stuff, like mowing the grass, for example, or, you know, all the little things, these little making phone calls or following up or, little tasks that your VA is probably doing for you now, how can you outsource some of those things? Um, so that was the, like the first kind of epiphany that I had to be able to actually hire somebody. And, and we look at it as an expense. Now I look at it as an investment. Um, you know, I'll hire somebody to do just about anything for us uh, now as company and personally. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's funny. You mentioned the lawn mowing because uh, I, I can't remember what book it was in. That it was probably a rich dad, poor dad uh, book where he, where they're talking about exactly that. Like, oh, you know, people think rich people are lazy because they, they don't mow their own grass. And it's like, no, it's not worth their time to mow their own grass. That the amount of time it takes to mow your yard, you know, if, if you're making some of these, you know, some guys thousands, thousands of dollars an hour, if, if you do the math that way, why would I mow my yard when I can pay someone a percentage of that and do something more productive or, spend the time with your family because you know the rest of us uh don't don't get to do that as much as we'd like sometimes yep that's it i mean uh i i look at it as you know that's an invaluable time especially when we're as busy as we are and we won't get that time back is that hour with my family is worth even more time than my money making hour right so um yeah it's important and that's how i look at it now too um everything i say yes to i say yes say yes to that it's it's taking kind of time away from my family or money away from me and my business so um always have to think about that yeah all right so you get started you you clearly have have grown a lot i'm curious if i can ask uh if there's anything in the transition from active to reserves that you thought was uh interesting or worth noting because i'm, I'm coming up on that decision and i think that's the way i'm leaning so that's a personal question i guess but yeah. Oh, you mean in the business or like just from the military yeah, side of things? From the military side of things. I'm curious. Uh, on the business, yeah. it means more time for you, which is... Well, I'd say if you have a family, it's, a, it's definitely a challenge making that transition from active to reserves. So a lot of the things change, like um, all the TRICARE stuff and how you, like how you go to the doctor and, and how you're covered personally. And you're not going to the dentist on base anymore. You're going to go find somebody or get a primary care provider and things like that, which... I still need to, by the way, I don't even have a primary care doctor and I've been in the reserves for two years. So um, you're just used to all of these things and you know, depending on where you live to support. So 
my transition from active to reserves was uh, interesting because of all of my dependents and spouse, all the deers problems and getting uploaded and all of that stuff. Uh, so my my wife would go to the doctor and it wouldn't be in the medical system. And so it's, it's definitely a challenge to work through. Um, it was kind of nice for me because I took my TSP that I was saving in and I rolled it all into my self-directed 401k. Um, so I was able to, you know, transition that money over and roll it into real estate. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, things that came along with that. I would say the biggest thing is to talk to somebody who's like in your exact situation that's done it before from uh, like your MOS or your, where you are in your career and try to find out what that transition was like and any gotchas um, because that, that was it for me. Um, as well as you go to this, the class, um, there's, another, there's some VA stuff too um, on getting uh, like your medical, if you've got any problems or issues that have come up during your medical career or your, your military career and uh, the medical side of things. Um, like I, you know, flying, I, I have a really bad back um, and I've had a really bad back for a long time. Uh, just flying thousands and thousands of airplane uh, hours in helicopters and, and these airplanes, ejection seat stuff. So it was, um, uh, that was a, a, quite a transition. But I'd say those things, the biggest thing is get with somebody who was kind of in your exact situation and figure it out. Um, because that was the biggest thing for me. There was some things that I, there's no way I could even anticipate it taking so long to get my family in a new system. And we were already here in Nashville. So going to another base, uh, I'm just so used to the base in Milton that not realizing that we could have just probably gone down the street to some of the uh, reserve depots or uh, like the, uh, but they, you know, the National Guard is here and they, they look at me like, we have no idea what to do with you. So definitely like knowing the right numbers and the people to call and, and when to do it. So someone who's recently been through it, I think is really important to get with them. But it was pretty seamless. And then figuring out the reserves is hard. Like they do things way differently. Fortunately, I went from active duty to active reserves. So I knew all the jargon and language in the reserve side of things because I was, I had to manage the reservists in our unit um, duty. So I did that for two years and then I was positioned pretty easy. But I think if you're a regular active to reserve guy, it might be a challenge. And then knowing that you have to mandate, there's a mandatory weekend that you have to go to every month and planning around that. That's a challenge too. So. Yeah, that'll, that'll probably be the adjustment, but I figure the, the mandatory weekend is probably better than the, you know, 335 days a year that you don't get vacation and you're stuck overseas. So. Yeah, it's really, it is really nice to, I have, a, I have a, a great flex drill opportunity down in Pensacola to um, pick the days that I want to go. So there's only four days a year that are set. Everything else is, is up to me to decide when I want to go down there and not. So it's really, really nice to have that kind of flexibility. So um, able to control my own schedule, be my own business owner and stuff like that. So I, and I'm, I'm, I certainly, you know, I got probably a lot of active duty people that follow you and listen to this. And I certainly don't want to push people in the reserves or say it's way better than, than active duty because I really enjoy it. I did 15 years of active duty. So it wasn't an easy decision for me to get out of the military um, at the time that I did. So, and people look at me like I'm crazy almost anytime I tell them that. Um, because what's another five years? Well, another five years is a long time for me and all the stuff that was going on with my family and, and what my business was doing and things like that. So um, it allowed me to spend more time with my family and kids and focus on you know, what was important to me at the time. So um, everybody's situation is different. It's not all about the money or anything like that. I, the reason I still serve is because I love giving back. Like the, when I go down there and see those, those new you know, ensigns, Lieutenant JGs, uh, second lieutenants, the, these, it, it, they are the brightest people that we have in our nation right now that are coming to flight school and flying with me. 
and to see their level of dedication and, and being out in the real world in the workforce now it's way different than what we see in the military we expect everybody to be a high, high achiever they're not i'm going to hate to break it to you but the people that come through and interview with me and we've hired some some duds in the past and things like that it's, it's a totally different world and so when i get frustrated i love going down to pensacola and seeing these students just killing it and um you know um I don't know. It makes me feel like uh, the future of our nation is still good. So well, I'll have to make my buddy listen to this because I got a friend who he and I were, you know, Lance corporals and corporals together in Afghanistan in 2010. And now he's at flight school in Pensacola. So, oh, cool. I'll have to, I don't know what he, I, I don't remember what bird he, he just got assigned, but I don't remember what he got. I want to say it was rotor. So, yeah. Uh, cool. yeah. So, okay. So you transitioned to the reserves and now you got all this time on your hands obviously you're not building a million dollar business you know, on the side. Um, what, I don't know how to ask that question because there's a lot I'm sure that's happened in the last three years. Uh, what do you think was, I don't know, the, the biggest challenge, I guess, with going full-time with the business? Like, was it, a, was it a really difficult thing to step in or did you find that as you had all this time, you already had so much going on that it was super easy to just fill it and go full force? Yeah, I, well, you know, so I, I was kind of creating this thing in the background as I was in, in active duty. So we, we actually did, uh, the company was doing almost, uh, almost 100 deals a year while I was still active. So I was out, I was hiring and, and building a team on the side. So I basically had two, I look at kind of like I had almost two full-time jobs then. Um, I'd put in time in the morning before um, going to uh, fly and then I'd put in time in the afternoon and the evening. Uh, pretty much each day and all the weekends. So um, I feel like what it did for me was it allowed me to focus on some of the things that I was neglecting a lot more. And I never look at, I never look at getting more time as needing to fill it up. So I, hopefully none of you think like that because just, just because we have more time doesn't need to mean we need to fill it. Because if we, if we just fill it with junk, we're going to go back to those $12 an hour tasks and $20 an hour tasks. So um, I really want to make sure that I'm kind of blocking time out. So what it did allow me to do was not work early mornings from like 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then not and and be able to be present at night and actually sit down with my wife instead of locking myself in a in an office for you know once we put our sons to bed that I would just go to the office for another three hours to catch up and every weekend going on appointments and stuff like that. So um, I think you know the the biggest challenge I think and like maybe having this much free time is just that. Like just thinking that you need to fill it. Um, if you're if you're growing a business, then then there's a you know focus on those high level tasks, those things that need to get done. Think and and for the biggest recommendation I can give all of you guys is focus on money making tasks. Like what what we always do is we either do what we think we're really good at or what we're what we like to do, um, and we always push off those things that may be uncomfortable or. Um, that we're not really good at, but we know need to be done. Um, and those are the big, some of those can be the big money-making tasks. So when I, when I look at stuff now and I, I, I say, if I'm going to do this, what, what's the outcome of this going to be? Like, is this going to make us that much more money and should we focus on it? And is it really worth, you know, the $500,000 an hour guy, or is it worth the 12, 15, 18, $20 an hour person? So, um, I think that's important. And I, I, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's going to work regardless. Like I, I, I got to work. I'm not just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. I'm not going to, um, I mean, I'll, I'll go to the beach for a week and relax, but I'm, I'm not going to do it every day of my life. 
right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't think retirement is probably going to happen for me. Um, uh, I'll find some stuff to do that, that excites me that I enjoy. Um, but now it's, it, for me, it's a little bit less about, you know, doing something that makes me a ton of money, but maybe doing something that makes more of an impact. So um, I think there's just kind of different stages depending on where you are. But if you're in that like grind right now and you're active and then you, and, and you get either get out of the military or you find a lot of time on your hands or you take, I, I mean, I would take leave for a week to help to build my business, take leave for a week to train a new sales rep that was going in houses to make offers for us. So, you know, I would, I couldn't do that full time. Right. So I'd have to take a week off and, and go train, go train her um, at the time. So um, I think the biggest challenge for me was just that not trying to fill it with just junk, like filling it with actual money-making high level tasks. And when we look at things like that um, and we should look at that all the time, you know, why am I doing this? What's it going to do for me, my business, my family, is it going to grow? Um, so uh, that's it for me. I, I, I don't, I still don't, I don't feel, I, I still, still work quite a bit. I have a CEO now. He's been with me for a little over a year. So he runs the company. So my real estate company, I only probably put like three hours a week in it um, now. So it's pretty nice. I, I make, a, I make less money, but I have a lot more time to do what I want. So yeah. um, more dollars an hour, 40 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. True. Absolutely. Um, definitely. But I, you know, I still, I still put in 30, 40 hours a week, every week, sometimes more depending on what I'm doing. And, um, you know, what else I'm trying to start, create and do. So now it's about doing other stuff. Yeah. That's exciting though, to be in that point. And I, I'm glad I asked that question, although I worded it poorly, because uh, I think the dollar per hour, and I, I, that's a very easy trap to get in. I, I'm in a situation right now where, uh, you know, I, I have some, some monetization done with the platform, but mostly still the real estate side. But I spend so much time on this, this platform building a community and I will find myself going, wow, you know, I did all this stuff this week and I'm sorry. I don't really know what's up with my, clearly it's time to wake up. Um, <laughs> I forgot I have a six o'clock alarm set, even though I wake up at four every day, I will edit that noise out. Uh, so I, I find that sometimes I'll get to the end of a week and I did all this stuff for, you know, YouTube and, and articles and media and all that stuff is useful to get attention but I forgot to analyze any deals or I, you know, and I, I have been kicking myself lately because I'm like, wow, I, you know, neglected to do this. And like, I just wasted an entire week doing stuff that sure it will make a difference eventually, but it, it's not what I need to be doing all the time. So I'm glad I, yeah, I think, I think the big thing for that is, you know, if, if you're, we, we use scorecards in the business a lot. So, um, you know, what did we do this week? how did our numbers go? This kind of key performance indicators on the scorecards and, and really making sure that that's your focus. Like if you're reporting on that or looking at it all the time, then you know that you're going to do it. I think, you know, I, well, I think what you're doing is great. First of all, I mean, when you're building a community and a podcast and putting information out there and things like that, that stuff's important. I mean, you, the impact that we make, uh, I think is even more important than the money we make. So and maybe I'm, I'm just at a different point in my life that that's true, but I think that's always been important for me. I always want to look at, at something about like, what, what else can I do for others and, and how can we, you know, so the community that you're building and the podcasts that are being created, like don't downplay that because that stuff is really important for, you know, kind of the legacy and what we're doing and why we're doing it because it may be, and maybe at this time that there could have been a more important task for you than, than making offers and things like that. But 
I, I will I'll def, definitely challenge you on that. Like make offers, do the things that are going to make you money and grow, grow yourself and your, your business and your family financially. But um, like those kind of things, I, I look at those as almost, it's really hard to put a price on that stuff. Because if you just change the life of one person and they're, they, they, they listen to this and they say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do that. I wasn't, I was, th I've been thinking about it for a long time, been on the fence and that just hearing that one thing changed me and I'm going to go do it. Uh, it could change the life for that person. And you will probably never know that, but, um, but we got to know that that's possible and true because just that one decision that I made back then to, to take a leap and jump into this group and, you know, pay this money and, and, and do whatever I did. That was probably, I can define almost every change after that from that one decision and it that came from a podcast yep. so had i not been listening to that podcast had i not done that we we wouldn't be talking right now we, i'd be in a much different place than i am right now. so um so anyway you can't put a dollar on like building a community and and putting out information and stuff like that i don't think so um, you're probably right I'm, i need to i got a guy uh i can trace every everything to one moment and uh the guy doesn't even know in fact, I'm probably going to try to hunt him down while I'm home on leave next month and grab coffee with him and be like, hey, by the way, uh, I know we're friends on Facebook and I know you see all of this, um, but you handing me Rich Dad, Poor Dad and telling me that I needed to read it, whether it was on Audible or not, is where all of this came from. And I just want to say thanks. Do that. I'm telling you right now, that will be more powerful than if you send that guy a $10,000 check. Like I there's nothing, there's not a price that you can put on something like that. And it, and we, we all need to get better at that. I know I do, but I'll tell you, I'll send a card to somebody and just say, Hey, you know what you, you've, you've shaped who I am and, and what I'm doing right now. And I just want to say thanks. So like the more that we can do stuff like that, the, the better. So I, I'm sure that guy's walking around has no idea. And um, it would be huge to, for him to hear that, whether it's uh, in writing or in person, in person, even better. So awesome. All right. Well, I got a couple questions I'd normally like to ask people and then I uh, won't waste too much of your, I, I say weekend because tomorrow is the 96 for me, which is one of the luxuries of active duty, but uh, we all know I'm not taking Friday off. So uh, I have a 96 every weekend. So it's really, all right. So if I always ask if an E1, E2 or, you know, an 18 to 20 year old, a youngster, uh, you know, was to walk up to you asking you for advice about real estate finance, whatever, uh, what would be the one thing that you would feel you just had to tell them? Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing is, is really talking to them about the difference between assets and liabilities. Um, in my experience, uh, so I came in as an officer. Um, and so, you know, my paycheck was a little bit bigger than the E1's paycheck, but they always drove a lot nicer cars than me. I don't know how, um, but it's probably, uh, you know, up to their eyes in debt and not having a penny in the bank, just like almost the majority of every other American out there. Um, we don't have any money in our bank accounts and we got debt up to the, up to the hill. So, um, so I would say it's just start thinking differently about money. Um, and uh, you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think for somebody who doesn't know uh, anything about money, it's a great book to pick up and just start getting that early mindset, right? Um, but think differently about money and, and don't, uh, you know, if, think about assets and liabilities. So uh, real estate is a great way to go where you can kind of leverage an, an asset with, uh, you know, with debt. And uh, your really nice fast car is not the best way to go. That is a major depreciating asset the day you buy it off, uh, drive it off the lot. Um, so, and, and then saving, like, I, I, look, I, 
I, I think I got to where I was with money about the mindset that my dad instilled in me in you know, creating, building an IRA, uh, making sure that I put my money in there, um, even, when I, even when I didn't want to, and just automatically putting stuff away for whatever it is, whether it's the stock market, real estate business, um, something. Start with it's just automatic transfers out of your account. Like Get it out of your paycheck before you see it and spend it. And I'll tell you what, you can live off of a lot less than you think you can live off of. So my friends may have called me cheap, but I was probably saving like 60% of my salary when I was in the military and I was single. Um, so when I was active duty and I was a lieutenant, I still lived off of like an 01 salary. And when I was a lieutenant commander, I was living off an 01 salary. I just don't go spend the difference. That's what we do. We make more money and we spend more money. Just trying to keep up with the Joneses. So I'm not saying be cheap, but um, I think, you know, saving money and thinking about money differently and start, you know, start working towards your retirement. That's, a, that's the most important thing for me is to figure out how to uh, grow my assets tax advantaged, um, how to, you know, invest in retirement accounts, self-direct IRAs, 401ks, things like that. Um, uh, so ah, that's my advice. Don't spend all your money. Save more than you make. Uh, live on less than you think you can live off of. Uh, and uh, be smart, you know, and, and educate yourself. So um, I think stuff like this, like podcasts like this or any, any type of uh, education event you can go to or anything, it's, it's going to be powerful and, and invest in yourself. Like uh, what? I used to go to the library and borrow library books, go buy a library book. It's free. Like I just, all my books, I was so cheap. I used to go to the library. So um, I still do. I still got a library card. We go right down the street so I can show my kids where uh, we, you can rent DVDs there for free. Do you know that? Pretty crazy. They add up quick. My, I have a buddy who, so I do Audible, and my buddy will buy the hardcover book every time he finishes a book on Audible, just so he has it in his bookshelf. Which, which I get. That's it's kind of cool to have it in your background. But I was like, man, if I was to do that today, I'd need to drop like three grand, two grand on books, and uh, that, yeah, I'm glad I see it that way because if I'd been buying the book all along, you know, I wouldn't have ever thought about it. I look at the DVDs I have sitting in the house. I think how much money I blew as a young Marine. I got like 600 DVDs uh, and you don't want to do the math. <laughs> now I have access to, to them all digitally, it seems. So, yeah, yeah. don't even watch them anymore. Awesome. Uh, and I will say that as a command financial specialist, I can tell you how most of those guys have nice cars and you, you don't want to know. It's, it's super. Yeah. Uh, I've seen guys lose security clearances over their charger. And I'm like, come yep. on. Uh, <laughs> So uh, what is one thing you wish the, the military had taught you about real estate or finances? And I, I preface that by saying, I, I know it's not necessarily your job, but. Uh, what do I think that they, I wish they taught me? Um, I, I wish that there was uh, something like this that was, was there, you know, like uh, maybe some sort of program or event that, uh, that we could go to and kind of band together and, and, and help people with this. So I, I think there's a lot of like small communities or people that want to do things like this and are trying to do it. But a lot of times it's um, you think that like, I can't do it. So um, probably some, probably something that, um, that they could create for our junior enlisted people and maybe even our junior officers to talk about um, uh, uh, some, some different ways to invest, whether that be uh, in real estate or outside of real estate, but um, like how to use, how to use our money. Uh, I know there's some of these, I just, I, I never feel like the people that are involved are high enough level to really, they can do a budget and some of these things. And I've gone through a lot of that in the past, but um, really kind of, let's, let's take it even a step further than that and, and maybe some accountability. But um, I don't know. I think, 
I think we talked about before this, it's uh, in the educational system as well as basically everywhere that we go. Um, I think it's really important to, to understand this, like finances and your future, because no one's looking out for you but you, okay? Um, you might, unless you have like a mentor or family members, but like we are responsible for our future and really understanding that and taking uh, ownership of that, I think is, is really important. So um, I'm glad that I picked up books and read books and talked to people and asked questions instead of just following the sheep, like uh, sheep are going to go the same way. Uh, and I did something way out of the norm. And so I think maybe if, if I, either inside or outside the military, we can figure out a way to kind of build a, like a, even a bigger community and maybe an event or something like that where um, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's interesting. We're, we're doing some stuff with the, um, the military down in Pensacola, but more, uh, more of like a philanthropic stuff to, we're trying, we're giving away a house. So fixing it up and giving it away. So That's cool. uh, figuring out how to do more stuff like that, I think would be good. Some people have approached me to, they want to build a community and network and stuff and events and things. I think it would be powerful to uh, open it up or even make it like a, maybe like a, an optional class to get some points, you know? So we should, uh, We'll talk offline after this. Or okay. Sometime. Uh, what, what, what makes the Bill Allen method of investing unique or successful? Is there anything that you would say is your like superpower? Yeah, I talk, I talk about this all the time. I think people, I, I think the superpower is really important. So like knowing yourself, your strengths and weaknesses, what you're good at and what you're not good at. And it's something I, I didn't even realize in the beginning. And I, I was do, trying to do everything, right? And even the stuff that I'm not good at, other people are 10 times better than me at. And that's when I realized that my business could be really successful when I surround myself with people who are better than me in certain areas and hopefully eventually all areas. I don't want, I don't be sitting at a conference room table where they're looking at me for the answer. I should be looking at them saying, what do you, what should we do? What should we do? And then I just have to approve it and we're getting there. So I think for me, it's, it's like being decisive and taking like really fast action, like just taking action. And for me, it was, I can, I can very quickly and easily take the information that I'm given and make a decision and stand by it. So I think it, it worked for me as a pilot. So when you're uh, commanding a, a helicopter or an airplane and you've only got limited information, you've got to take everything in, you've got to make a decision. And then if it's the right one, great. If it's the wrong one, you got to be willing to stand at the end of the long table and tell them why you did that with the information that you had and stick to your guns. So, and not second guess yourself. So I find a lot of people are always just kind of like teetering. They're on the fence. They can't make a decision. They, they get all the information and then uh, they just aren't willing to take that next step. I mean, that's, that's really leadership, right? So being able to take decisive action with the information that I'm given and then, and not be afraid to, to make the wrong step. Like I've made plenty of mistakes. I just try not to make them twice. So uh, I'd say that, Hopefully that's my superpower, I think. Um, and, you know, I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I'm not afraid to lose money. I'm not afraid to, to do a deal. It might not be the best thing. It's, it's all a learning experience. So kind of like that mindset thing of uh, not, being, not being afraid to, to succeed either. So some people are, yeah, what happens? I'm not sure I want to be that person. That I, I'm not worthy of that, you know? And so that's interesting too. But Decision-making and taking action. Those are the two things that I think. Those are huge. And, and luckily something that I think a lot of service members uh, learn at a somewhat, so maybe not early age, but uh, you know, the military is very key on 
a, a bad decision is better than no decision. And yeah, I think that's a cool, cool mentality to be able to take with you because it will, it will make you successful. You can't, you can't be at the top if you're not willing to make the decision. Yep. That's right. So awesome. Uh, what is one resource, uh, book, website, course, podcast, whatever, uh, that you recommend to anyone who's looking to get started in real estate or finance? Man, one resource. I mean, you can um, list 50 books if you want. Uh, we just might take a while. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really love to read. I love to, um, I love to educate myself. So I, I think the, like, the biggest thing is, is to figure out where you are and where you're going. So don't read books. Like, maybe it's more of advice than anything, but don't read a book that's 10 miles ahead of you. Like, focus on what you need to do now. So my progression in real, the real estate business was I was reading the books and, and then don't just read the book to read the book, like take action on that book. So um, I, I read a ton now, but all I'm trying to do is get one little piece of information out of each book that I can utilize at, in what I'm doing right now. So I try to read like 50, I try to read a book a week. I try to read 50 books this year. Uh, I, I fell short last year at like 35, I think, um, just because the end of the year got crazy and I, I slowed down. But I, I think it really, if I recommend a book and you go read it, um, what's going to happen is it might be the wrong time for you. It might be the wrong place. Like what I'm reading right now might not be the right thing for you. Um, but there, there is probably one book that has changed that I've read a ton lately that has changed kind of the trajectory of how I think and what I do. And uh, it's, it's called Extreme Ownership. Um, and it's, I think it's, I think it'll nail this kind of military community by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And, um, they are just, uh, so some uh, previous Navy SEALs that have built out a consulting company now for leadership and a lot of what I'm doing. And I, I, we all read that book in my company, even from like the person that makes $10 an hour to me, uh, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that talks about like top down and bottom up leadership in there uh, and how, how you can lead your leaders. Um, so I think anybody that listens to this could get something out of that for sure. Um, so I love that book, but keep in mind, like, I don't read like, uh, I don't know how to go from 5 million to 10 million. If you're haven't done a deal yet, you know, so I really kind of focus on what you need. And it look, marketing sales and operational type leadership books. Like those are the three facets of any business, whether it's real estate or I run a donut shop down the street. I got to market to get people in my door. I got to sell them on my product. And then I got to, I got to be sound operationally from uh, the systems and processes and people and uh, leadership and things like that. Um, so any book that falls into those three, I think is powerful to read uh, as well as you know, obviously some mindset and motivation type books. Cause you know, that's, that's really important, but they usually fall in all of them. So extreme ownership is my final answer. Um, and I think if you read that one, you won't be, uh, disappointed it's just a phenomenal book and and i'd recommend the audible book they read it on audible it's way better than reading it uh, i have both so when i when i listen to a book that i absolutely love and i need it over and over again i buy it i don't buy every book that i listen to but um if it's really good i usually buy it and then i usually will send a couple to some people that i uh, that i really appreciate or think might get something out of it so i that's mine really like that answer that's actually one of my favorite books and i do the same weird thing where i will listen to like you know 30 books a year or 40, whatever. And then I'll pick two or three that I really liked and I'll buy them. And what I'll, I'll do is I'll like go through and highlight everything that, and then I'll read just the highlights a third time. Sometimes um, I need to, in fact, uh, never split the differences one that I need to buy hard copy. Oh yeah. 
I just listened to that one again for like the fifth time last week. So. Yeah, I've listened to that one several times. It saved me a ton of money and I need to just buy the hard copy. But yeah, Extreme Ownership is is definitely one of my favorite books out there. Uh, that And it makes a huge difference in all aspects of your life, which is great. Uh, well, if you're going to be in San Diego and you want to see Jocko, I'll have an announcement for October of this year. So um, and maybe I'll see you there. So. Oh, man. Let's yes, 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 absolutely. I'll be there. Uh, I actually, you know, I sent Christmas cards to like 10 different people, like just way out of my league this year that had made a difference, you know, people that whatever. And Jocko was one of them. And he's the only one who wrote me back. Oh, that's awesome. Like I have his card sitting in my desk right here. And I'm like, I will never forget that, that, that to me meant, I mean, it just, the guy's a monster and that made, made just showed you know reinforce that for me uh anyway uh before we wrap this up anything you'd like to add parting advice big ideas no i'd say like you you think that you can reach a level of success or uh or anything like anything in your life whether it's uh the speed at which you run a mile and a half or two miles or three miles for the marines like the number of pull-ups that you can do the weight that you can lift the amount of business that you can do all of that stuff there is so much past that. Like you are capping your performance. You are capping your uh, everything that you're doing with the way that you think. And it's all a mind game. I've run a ton of marathons. I know where I hit the wall and it's not my body. It's my mind. And it's, it's so you, all you need is to figure out how to reset that to a different place and you can do a ton more. So um, I don't know if anybody's listening to this and thinks that, there's i'll tell you there's probably dozens of people saying like this guy's lying he's not doing 200 deals um it's fine you're just in the wrong headspace like you can't even fathom that that's possible but get around somebody that's doing 500 deals or a thousand deals a year and easy right so um it's the whole roger banister four four minute mile type thing just, just once somebody does it somebody else can do it so um, so change your mentality, change your mindset and you'll change your life. So that's kind of the big picture that I got. I love it. All right, Bill, if people want to reach out, where's the best way to get a hold of you without wasting too much? Um, yeah, you, you can go. So my, my company's called blackjack real estate. You can go to blackjackre.com. Um, and you can like fill out a form there. Or you can see the different people, um, uh, in the company and, and see what we're doing. Um, Let's see, we, uh, it, look, it, the big thing, you know, I'm, I run the Tennessee uh, volunteer department, like the chairman of Tennessee for this Operation Underground Railroad. Um, so we, uh, we are focused on uh, freeing uh, kids from sex trafficking and sex slavery and stuff like that. So I'm um, doing some work there. I'm sure you can find me on the Google machine. Um, I'm also a coach uh, and uh, kind of mentor at a company called Seven Figure Flipping. So those are kind of the places that I hang out um, and you can find me at any of those places. Um, I would give out my email, but my assistant would be really pissed if she had to respond to everybody. And I know that made me laugh so hard when, when I, so when I messaged Bill on Facebook, I was like, Hey, uh, your story sounds cool. You know, I'd love to have you on my show. And really I had no idea that Bill was as big as he, he is. And his response was great. CC my assistant and then tell her, that I said to CC her because she'll deny you because that's her job. And I was like, oh, Bill's Bill's probably a little bigger than I anticipated because that's a <laughs> that's a player move. That's that's not a, a newbie move to have someone to tell tell people no. Um, 
So yeah, anyways, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time saying no. So uh, I have too. a I have a great uh, a great assistant in Nicole who um, she's the uh, she's the, she's the door person, right? If you can get past Nicole, then um, then I have the ability to say yes or no. So <laughs> awesome. Well, Bill, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been awesome. Uh, I know the listeners will enjoy it. Uh, and I, I learned a ton out of this as well. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. I had fun.